entering the Freedom Hut. Bernie or Biden, that is the choice. Now that the results are in from South Carolina, Super Tuesdays tomorrow, plus coronavirus, more cases. Is it going to be a pandemic in the U.S.? And is the media being fair in how they report on this? That and more coming up on the Buck Sexton Show. This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, you're a great American the Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I am back from the left coast, from the west coast. It was uh, quite a quite a Friday night on the Bill Maher Show. I'll give you my full readout on what that was like and what I think what I think of how all that went down later on today. We have some important business to get to. Big stories in politics. Big things going on with our fight against the COVID-19, the coronavirus uh, panic slash pandemic. Uh, is it, it's a pandemic globally, I think you could say. Is it a pandemic in the U.S.? Not, not yet. What can we say about that? And then if I have time, also, I'm seeing more and more about drag queen story hour for toddlers, which I'll either get to today or tomorrow. But first, let's just get to the lessons of uh, South Carolina, shall we? And this is in part, I'm leading with politics today because I think we've heard enough of the scaremongering and the fearmongering from the media. So at least we can divert from that for a moment, uh, divert from all the stories about how Trump is going to allow the country to crumble and we're all, we're all going to die from this virus. The stuff that's being said out there is reckless and, and irresponsible. And we do have new things to say about the political scene. We don't have a whole lot of new to say yet about coronavirus. So we'll get into that second. First, let's just see what we have here from Joe Biden, who in very predictable fashion, according to all the polls, this was what everyone thought was going to happen. Uh, Joe Biden is now the victor, has, has won a clear and decisive contest in South Carolina. Here is what old man Joe had to say about it. Play 21, please, Producer Mark. Enthusiasm does not necessarily translate into votes. Uh, you saw more people voted yesterday in South Carolina, I'm told, than I think in the primary than any other time, the largest turnout. And, uh, you know, I, and I won every single solitary county. Every single solitary county doesn't mean that that holds for every state. But, you know, I think people aren't looking for revolution. They're looking for results. They're looking for who can not only beat Donald Trump, but who can keep a Democratic House of Representatives and who can bring along a Democratic Senate. And that means you got to be able to compete in almost every state from the top of the ticket. And it's just a matter of fact, if you're going to try to win a seat in Georgia or North Carolina or South Carolina or Florida, who do you want in the top of the ticket? So I think. It's. It's a. Um, I think the confusion is that this and and that I don't have any support of young people. I do. I get about. I got about thirty percent of the people that are anyway. So I, the the point is, I think this is just a, a long game here. But people want results. They're not looking for revolution. They want results. They want a return of decency. They want to be able to get things done. And uh, I have a record that is uh, far superior on those two issues uh, than Bernie's. It's all so predictable in a sense, isn't it? For all the talk of the initial diversity in the Democrat field for this presidential election, which is now, this is the antithesis 
of a diverse field. You have three of the oldest, most curmudgeonly white dudes on the planet who are the choice for the Democratic Party. That's it. They are the only choice. They are your option now. Yeah, Klobuchar is still hanging in there, but nobody really thinks she's going to do anything. As we know, Mayor Pete bowed out. Pete Buttigieg after South Carolina. He won in Iowa, which it does go to show you that the Iowa caucuses should not be first for the Democrat primary. It does not make sense. It gives uh, an advantage to somebody early on who may not be even a serious candidate. I mean, for the person to win Iowa, Pete Buttigieg, Mayor Pete, to drop out before Super Tuesday just goes to show you that Iowa doesn't really matter as a nomination contest, okay? I love the people of Iowa. If you're listening, you live in Iowa. This is not about not about Iowa not being a great state. Uh, I hear I hear wonderful things. I hear there's there's great towns, but now we get to this point where they're going to try to tell us that this isn't somehow just a replay of 2016, where you have this uninspiring, boring, ultra establishment, classic career politician Joe Biden who they're just hoping he is the vessel for all of the DNC's, you know, all their horses and all their men, you know, putting Joe Biden back together again, right? They're just hoping that this is going to be a guy that can take them across the finish line based on the power of the Democrat Party's propaganda apparatus and the messaging that they'll be able to accomplish via their accomplices in the media. That's that's what we really think that's what we're really being told here. Everything else before this was kind of a waste of time. It's the socialist left of the Democrat Party fighting against the establishment social Democrat, maybe. Uh, that's what Bernie and Biden represent. Bloomberg hasn't been doing very well in, in any of the recent polls. Um, he's still on the ballot. I mean, Super Tuesday's tomorrow. So a lot of what we say today or a lot of the questions that we raise right now will be answered tomorrow. We'll know tomorrow whether or not this is something that uh, whether or not our our assumptions and thoughts about this election contest are, in fact, in any way accurate. Um, here's what what Bloomberg has to say, given where he is at this stage of things. Play seven here. You might say I'm the un-Trump. And if you just think about it, he breaks promises, I keep him. He divides people, I unite him. He's a climate denier. I'm an engineer. I actually believe in science. Imagine that. He tweets, I follow facts and respect data and tells the truth. He looks out for people who inherited their wealth, like him. And I started with nothing but my parents teaching me hard work and ethical behavior. And I'll tell you, I will raise taxes on the wealthy, including me, to get the revenue we need to start fighting income inequality and paying for infrastructure and investing in emergency preparedness and extending health care and improving education and all the other things we need to strengthen our great country. My whole career has been as a doer, and I believe we need less talk, less division, less tweeting. Less tweeting. I'm a doer. I believe in you. Oh, gosh. Uninspiring. And I, I've had to recalibrate a little bit of my thinking on this. Uh, to, to be fair, to be fair to the truth, which is something that I always aspire to do, as someone who had been a lifelong New Yorker, uh, pretty much a few interruptions to go work at the CIA and such, but and college, I had thought for a long time Bloomberg was an effective mayor, and I think he was a for a very liberal city, he was okay. 
But if we're really going to judge this by the numbers, how much better is Bloomberg really than de Blasio, who is a moron and a leftist? How much better is Bloomberg really? Was he really at that job? Uh, and, and if you can have de Blasio in, the, in charge of this city, in charge of New York City, and, and the whole thing doesn't fall apart, maybe Bloomberg was just kind of lucky. Or he was just in the right place at the right time as a mayor for the rise of a city that was the center of so much unbelievable wealth creation, uh, really the greatest explosion of wealth in any in any city, certainly in, in modern times. Uh, in terms of you add together all the Wall Street, all the financial sector, all the stuff that's happened in the last 20 years. But here's why I think Bloomberg matters. And now people are going to have this choice going into Super Tuesday tomorrow. And Bernie's supposed to blow it out in California. I was just in California. They are nuts. The people there are, you know, there, there are lots of Californians who are just crazy. They don't understand how the world works. They believe pie in the sky is real. They think that Bernie's going to be effective, a good president, that the rich won't still be rich, that everybody's going to have great health care. I, I, I sometimes, and this was a little bit of the feeling I had on the Bill Maher show, it's like I'm speaking to toddlers. You're just like, how, you, you, they just don't know anything. I, I don't know what else to say. It's not really possible to reason with somebody who believes that Bernie Sanders has good and workable ideas. But Bernie's going to do very well in California. He's going to do very well in a number of other very large states. So it's not I'm not sitting here telling you that I knew Biden was going to win South Carolina. We all did. But because Buttigieg has dropped out and now there's all this additional pressure to get other dropouts on the Democrat side, Klobuchar uh, and Bloomberg may very well decide that he's going and he won't do this before Super Tuesday. He's spending a ton of money, has been spending a ton of money in recent days. Why won't you vote for me? Here's money. Uh, Tom Steyer, I think they estimated, got, I think it was $3,000. He spent something like $3,000 a, was it a vote or a delegate? I, I, he spent some absurd amount of money <laughs> to get, he dropped out too. That's why I'm bringing him up. He's done. So Buddha Judge is out. Tom Steyer is out. And now you got Klobuchar, Bloomberg, Biden, Bernie. Biden is the youngest serious presidential male contender left. Think about that. Biden's the youngest. These candidates are too old for this job. We all know this. We all understand this. But the Democrats are desperate. They're desperate right now. They think that whatever they have to do to defeat Donald Trump is inherently justified. I think you'll see Bloomberg's billions go behind Biden pretty soon, if he, unless Bloomberg has some big surprise finish on Super Tuesday. And then you'll effectively have the ultra-establishment candidate, a former vice president under a still popular former Democratic president, Barack Obama, uh, who, you know, is not an impressive guy. And although I will note, you know, I, I haven't said this before. I'm very critical of Joe Biden a lot of the time, and I and I think that that's fair. And I do not think he's I do not think he's an intellectually impressive fellow, nor do I think he's a good leader. Um, putting all that aside for a moment, I do give the guy a lot of credit for, given the tragedies that he has been through in his life, he has pushed through them in a way that is that that, that is the most impressive thing about Joe Biden. And some some uh, I had some reflection about that over the weekend. He lost well, he's lost two sons and a wife in in either either to cancer or to a car accident. 
Uh, so I give him full credit. That's what's inspiring about Joe Biden. And that's the only thing that's inspiring about Joe Biden. But that is. And so I want to segment that off from all the other comments and criticism that I make of him, because I, I do I do think that that's something that people can point to and say um, there's a there's a connection to to Biden's resilience, a deep, a deeply human and understandable and, and appreciable or one that we should all appreciate uh, connection with Joe Biden. All right. So that aside, since I've said that little that uh, that soliloquy, like, yeah, I guess you could call it that. Um, Biden, with Bloomberg's dollars behind him, becomes the ultra establishment candidate facing off against Bernie Sanders. And now you're just going to hear a lot of talk about electability, electability again, um, including from the candidate. Play uh, clip three, producer Mark. Do you think you can win this primary uh, uh, before the convention or do you think it's inevitable that it's inevitable, though, that you and Sanders may have to work this out at the convention? I think I can win it before the convention. But again, I, I, I'm not. Look, all I know is I think we're moving into, in, into constituencies that are constituencies. When they hear me, they've always been mine. Diverse communities, white working class folks, people with the African-Americans and Hispanics, people in the middle class, women in the suburbs. There are places I've always been very strong my whole career. One of the reasons why I was asked to join the ticket with Barack Obama in 2008, I had that hadn't changed. I think people know me, and it's a matter of my being able to get organizational structures on the ground in big states, and uh, and it looks good some places, it looks tough for others. I, I think you can make a case either way as a conservative for what would be better for America. Uh, the lesser downside possibility of Biden winning the nomination or the clarifying effect of Bernie winning the nomination and then getting defeated by Trump. I tend to fall in the latter category, but I can understand why people would be so concerned about a Bernie Sanders presidency. As I've been telling you, <clears throat> here, here's just a clear difference for me. If, if Bernie Sanders wins the presidency, I'm basically going into defensive crouch mode uh, for, all in, for all investments. I'm going to try to you know, limit my exposure to his bad policies. And that's actually why I, I wrote with with my friend at Sandsbury Research this book, which will be coming out in the next 60 days, The Socialism Survival Guide, which is what can you do politically, economically, personally, what steps can you take if we start going deeper and deeper down this uh, socialist rabbit hole? Uh, with Biden, things will be bad, but it'll be kind of like it was under Obama, where, all right, this isn't as good as it should be, a social justice uh, focus on the economy just makes everybody more miserable and more poor. It really doesn't help the way that they say it will. Uh, but at least we know we'll get through it. I, I don't know if we come out of a Bernie presidency being the same America afterwards or on the same trajectory as a country that we had been before. So the the downside of, of feeling the burn is certainly a lot higher. But we have Super Tuesday tomorrow. So here, here's, how, uh, here's how I think it's going to play out. No matter what you see, in terms of the way the votes shake out, there's Bernie Sanders is going all the way. He's going all the way to the convention. And there is a very powerful behind the scenes Democrat apparatus that is going to try to take it from this guy. It was one thing I got to mention when I was on Bill Maher's show and they tried to deny this. I'm like, this is what Democrats are saying. Stop. I really just sort of started yelling at the table. Stop being crazy to them. That would be the best way that I, I could go about this. Like, you guys need to stop being crazy. But I don't know if that would have made it go even further off the rails than it did. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
let me say this. I, of course, will be supporting. I've said from the beginning, every Democrat is a million times better than Trump. Trump is a disaster. And let me say this. I mean, we're in South Carolina. Lindsey Graham's a disaster. He's a disaster for the people here. So, of course, I'll be working on that. And let me say one last thing. When the Lord closes a door, he opens a window. I will find that window and crawl through it with you. I promise you that. I don't want Tom Steyer crawling in my window. Guy's weird. You see him doing the dance over the weekend? There's a video went viral of Tom Steyer busting out the dance moves. I don't know. These political candidates, you know, they they apparently have not seen the movie Hitch, where Will Smith does those of us who are rhythm challenged a fantastic favor and shows us just how to stay at, he calls it home base. Just go side to side, little little snaps, side to side. Just keep it really, keep it tight, keep it close. Don't don't try to, you know, you know, boogie woogie, do the twist, all that sort of stuff. If, if you're a politician who can't dance, I'm just, you, you don't have, no one's forcing you to dance, Tom Steyer. Uh, but Tom Steyer is saying that he's going to back whoever the nominee is. He's out, so we won't see him show up with his one plaid tie. Or but he, I'm sure he has probably a hundred, because he's a billionaire, he probably has a hundred of the same tie, and he just thinks that it looks really cool for some reason. Um, but yeah, Tom Steyer is out, Buddha Judge is out. And that means that there's a narrowed field here. But where do those votes go? Do they go to Biden or do they go to Bernie? I'm telling you, it was in California. Those people are out of their minds. California is going to be an avalanche for Bernie Sanders. Uh, Biden's going to get some delegates for sure. But uh, the left coast is really now a, it's a socialist enclave. I and mean, California has decided they're going to go with this stuff. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. So if you want someone who talks turkey and who has a record of accomplishment on all the big issues facing our country and who has the resources to beat Trump, that's me. If you want a debater, you got the wrong guy here. So look, I give virtually all my company's profits to charity, and there's no better investment I can make in the future of our country than spending to get Donald Trump out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And if you think my campaign is expensive, just imagine what four more years of Donald Trump will cost our country. And somebody the other day said to me, you know, you're spending a lot of money. And I said, yes, I am. I'm spending the money to get rid of Donald Trump. And I go, oh, spend more, spend more. Spend more. More money. Throw it all. Rivers of cash. Isn't it interesting, my friends? Though we've been told so much by the Democrats about how Republicans are, uh, they're the class, uh, they're the, uh, the party of the rich, of the upper class, um, that Republicans are controlled by billionaires, millionaires and billionaires and special interests. They're just writing the big checks to get those Republicans in office. And sure enough, the, the financial savior of the Democrat Party, it seems, comes along. They've not one but two billionaires. Well, now only one, but they had two billionaires running for president. And we're supposed to not notice that all the rhetoric about billionaires was just that. It was it was rhetoric. It was meant to to fool the easily fooled. It was meant to convince people who don't do a lot of thinking for themselves that yes, the Democratic Party somehow for some reason 
doesn't rely on big money and big cash donations the way that Republicans do, that there aren't ultra-rich elites at the top of the Democrat Party hierarchy. Find me a prominent Democrat politician, and I'll show you somebody who is probably very rich. Not a little rich, very rich. Uh, there's lots and lots of them. Bernie Sanders, you might say, is one of the few exceptions. I mean, Mayor Pete is the guy's, the guy's my age. Of course, he doesn't. No one my age really has any money. Thanks, boomers. It's a conversation for another time. But you look at the people that are running the party, you know, Pelosi and Schumer. You look at what's going on now with, uh, with Bloomberg and their ultra-rich elites that are directing the Democratic Party in a way that they. Oh, by the way, Biden's worth just just Biden's worth like thirty or forty million, I think. He's made ten million dollars speaking at least since uh, since he. And then when you add books and stuff, I, mean, I don't know, maybe he's worth twenty million. He's worth tens of millions of dollars. Okay, Joe Biden. Yeah. Oh wow, that public service that works out really well. You get to be paid like you're a world class professional athlete after you're in office. Isn't that isn't that interesting? So, you know, this is now a point where we're going to see this breakdown between the hard left socialist party in this country that really does believe in this stuff. And I guess, you know, this is why today I'll just have to infuse some of some of the show with uh, my observations. You know, I I was on from the Bill Maher show on Friday, which, by the way, if you're going to watch it, just watch the panel, skip the rest of it. It'll drive you insane. And honestly, it's, you know, I, I got interrupted so many times and there was so much over talking and cross talking and, and also just exposing oneself to that degree of delusion, um, I think is, is useful for me. It's a reminder that libs really do believe this crap like they think and we'll get more into this with the coronavirus stuff, but you can't reason with them. They really think that Republicans just don't want people to have good health care. It's not that we have a different approach to making sure that there is more efficient, better delivery of health care for more people through market mechanisms. No, no. We just don't want poor people to have health care. And the poor people who vote Republican, and there are a lot of them, they just don't know anything. They don't know any better. They've just been fooled by the big, bad, mean, you know, billionaire Republican class. This is like a fable that a child would tell himself or herself at night, but this is actually mainstream Democrat thinking now. And, you know, on on healthcare in particular, there is a a complete lack of connection to reality from Democrats who think that, well, what happened before? Oh, that's right. The Democrats went ahead without a single Republican vote on Obamacare, put Obamacare through. And, you know, what do you get? A massive Medicaid expansion. Okay, so more people have access to free healthcare. You know what the problem with that is? Medicaid isn't very good healthcare. And the healthcare decisions that one makes on uh, on one's own affect very much how how much you're going to be able to benefit from Medicaid. I mean, a lot of the diseases, a lot of the, the spending in healthcare comes from lifestyle diseases and from old age. Uh, the people that think that somehow if you have Medicaid coverage now, you're going to lead lead this long healthy life. I mean, they're unfortunately mistaken. But. This is how Democrats get through the socialist message. This is what they'll say, that we're going to make everybody, everyone's going to have health care. It's going to be great. We're going to be like other countries. What's lost, you know, other countries like uh, Canada and the UK, what's lost in all this is that we're the financial engine for the whole world. We're the ones that are actually coming up with the most cures and, and new treatments for for diseases that are out there, new medical therapies across the board. That's happening here more than anywhere else. We're the ones that 
when our market goes down, the whole world's market feels the effects very quickly. You know, Canada can can be a little more a little more left wing as long as America's next door keeping the world safe and propping up the global economy and the global markets. But if we start taking the approach that some of these more uh, they're not even truly socialist countries, which I know we, we keep getting bogged down in this. I mean, England is not a socialist country and as a socialist Healthcare system and an increasingly, uh, an increasingly separate private uh, private sector healthcare system. These are not socialist countries, but promising to give everybody free healthcare, it, there's an emotional appeal. I mean, the Democratic Party effectively is built upon emotion over reason. It is built upon promises over history. That's what we are now up against all the time. Conservatives, Republicans, we look at experience, we look at what has worked, what is true, and then try to apply those lessons in in the policies that we support and in the decisions that we make. Democrats look at the past and say, well, that isn't really relevant for what we're looking at now, especially on the on economic issues, on health care, on socialism. That's not relevant for what we're looking at now. Let's just do it a better way this time, but we'll use the failed principles and tenets of past governments and past countries in order to get there. You know, and, and if you tell them, well, hold on a second, here are the reasons why that won't work, they'll respond with, why are you a bad person? Why do you want people to be without health care? Why do you want coronavirus to spread? With, you know, oh, the, the, the stuff that they say is so brainless. But there's really a, a death of discourse in this country right now, and that was honestly what was on display uh, on the Bill Maher show. I mean, you can't even, you can't even have a normal discussion with these people. It's all Trump bad, orange man bad, Trump is a liar. That's it. You say, well, hold on, what about this? What about that? What about the decision to pull U.S. troops out of Afghanistan uh, contingent upon this agreement that's been signed with the Taliban, which I'll talk about? No, 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 Trump lies. Trump's bad. Well, but I thought you guys wanted the war to end. Oh, no, 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 no. Stormy Daniels, Mueller probe, impeachment. I mean, this, this, the, the brain... You know, it's like they've been hardwired that the synapses only fire a certain way. And whenever you talk to a liberal about Trump, it just turns. This is what Trump derangement is. I mean, I was exposed to Trump derangement where people just want to yell and talk over and and say really stupid, objectively stupid things. But it feels good to say it because they've been trained that that's what the good people say. And the rest of the I mean, this is the the essence of Trump derangement syndrome. You don't deal with the subject matter. You don't deal with the policy. You just dive in immediately to how terrible Trump is. I mean, this is what you get Tom Steyer, for example. And this is affecting the Democrat race. I mean, you hear it all the time. Any Democrat is a million times better than Trump. Really? Any Democrat is a million times better than Trump. What exactly is so terrible? I mean, they don't have to agree with with, the, with all of Trump's wins and you know, restoration of rule of law when it comes to sanctuary cities or securing the border. Although, does a secure border look pretty good right now, considering we're trying to stop a global pandemic from being unleashed inside of American borders? And wouldn't the promise of free first world health care to the developing world for anyone who crosses our borders make us at greater risk for the intentional infiltration of individuals who are near enough to the border to cross who have coronavirus and are like, I, I want to get to a U.S. hospital, ASAP, you know, turn myself in, let's go. What do you think will happen if you show up at, at, the, at the U.S. border and you try to do the usual asylum scam that's been done now for years and Trump's been fighting against, you show up at the border and you want to go through that asylum scam and then you say, oh, and by the way, I think I have, I think I have coronavirus. 
they're not going to be able to say, oh, sorry, you know, you're not going to stay here under the way the Democrats want it, under the way the current law would probably work out. You end up getting taken in, taken into U.S. healthcare facilities. I mean, think about the expense here. And, but this is the world the Democrats want. You, you are not allowed to worry about your health and your neighbor's health. You have to worry about the whole world's health. Your labor, your time, the government can take that from you to try to give it to other people all over the world because we're all one human race, man. Ultimately, this is the dissolution of the nation state system in the name of a feel good internationalism. And that's really what the Democrats think that they want. I mean, there's the pretense. If you push them on this, they would say no. But it is what they say they ultimately um, believe in. So we shall we shall see how this all um, how this all works out. And, And now I have to get into coronavirus and what is going on there. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Um, I find it incomprehensible that the president would do something as inane as calling it a hoax, which he did last night in South Carolina. He he said that the Democrats making so much of it is a Democratic hoax, not that the virus was a hoax. This is up to the scientists and the doctors as to whether there is a problem. They all around the world say that it is in some places and has enormous potential to become one elsewhere. And it is just ignorant and irresponsible to not stand up and be the leader and say we don't know but we have to prepare for the fact that if it is we have the medicines and the structure and the knowledge to deal with it this is a perfect example of trump derangement syndrome it's one that i dealt with uh, on the bill Maher show, uh, bill Maher show friday when at the top of the panel, uh, the first thing that was posed was Trump has called this a hoax. Discuss. And I tried to I tried to say, no, no, no. There are two discussions going on in this country. One is about what to do here. Ever knows there's a disease. Ever knows there's this virus out there. And the other is the blame shifting or the blaming. It's not even shifting. It's just putting blame on Trump before anything has even happened in this country about this. We don't know what there but. Uh, to, to say that the, the president has called coronavirus a hoax is a huge and stupid lie. And when you have to respond to a huge and stupid lie, it's very difficult. And then people, I tried to establish for them, no, 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 this is not, is Scott Pelley some right-wing hack? To his credit on CBS, he's like, no, that's not, that's not what the president said. Bill Maher panel, you can go watch it. That's exactly, the president's called this a hoax. He lies, he lies, he lies. This is what ends up happening. I sit here and say, no, are we going to talk about the response? Because there's a lot of real things to dive into about how, how concerned should we be? What can we do? What are the proper precautions? What are the proper measures? What government agencies need what? I mean, there's this, you know, it's like we're, we're going off to war and and Democrats just want to just scream, oh, he's lost the war. He's lost the war already. He's lost it. No, no, he lost the war. Like a bunch of moronic toddlers that have been trained to say this. No offense to toddlers out there, but you know what I mean? Like, like little kids who don't know anything. As we know, Democrats love kids who don't know anything if they can spout their political slogans. How dare you? I'm getting better at that. So this is this is a perfect example. And Bloomberg is caught on this by Pelly. Pelly's like, look, I mean, that's not... And by the way, he's not sharper. I mean, he just says, well, that's not really what was said. 
No, it's not what was said at all. Think about this. The, the Democrats like to believe. It makes them feel good. They feel intelligent clinging to this notion that Donald Trump is calling a disease that his administration set a task force up over a month ago when they were busy impeaching the president over crap, over, over nothing. When they were impeaching Trump, Trump was pulling together a task force and they were questioning whether or not there was enough diversity in a photo of that task force on coronavirus. If the president thought this was a hoax, why is he giving speeches about this? If the president did not believe that this was a serious issue, why are we hearing from Dr. Fauci, NIH, CDC, all the requests for billions of dollars of funding, you know, regular updates administration, Pence set up as the coronavirus, you know, czar might not be the right word, you know, coordinator, I mean, point guy, whatever you want to call him. They, but, but they're saying he thinks it's a hoax? How, how do you have, I mean, this is, this is why, I mean, and if you did see the show on Friday, you'll see what I mean. I, I mean other than just, I, they constantly talk over me. And at some point you just, if you're not going to, if you're not able to speak, it's like trying to give a speech at a college with all the, the you know, the, the idiots that'll pound on the windows and all yell and blare bullhorns and stuff, or, you know, a foghorns, whatever, bullhorn, foghorn, same idea. I mean, there's only so much you can really do. But the initial premise that Trump called coronavirus a hoax, that is a lie. And for people to then transition to Trump lies while they are lying about him is, in a sense, the ultimate in Trump derangement syndrome. Like, this is the distillation. This is the in its purest form, 100% unadulterated TDS is apparent the moment that they have to lie about Trump so that they can say that he's a liar. And that's where we are as a country. That's where the discussion is now politically. People that hate Trump, you cannot talk to them. You, you cannot address them. Even on, on issues that are not specifically Trump-related, they'll bring it back to Trump. Trump is a liar. They're just nuts. I, I don't know how else we can describe it. They've just completely come unhinged, unglued over the president. That's why, I mean, Mike Bloomberg... Is he so stupid that he does not know what the president said? No. But he really believes the rhetoric that the president's a clear and present danger. Uh, you know, One point that I made on the show on, on Friday was that no matter what you think of Trump, he does not want this to be a pandemic here. No matter, no matter who you are, no matter how terrible, if you think Trump is a traitor and a racist and a rapist and all these other just lies that they spread about the president all the time, he wants he wants the the number of people who die from coronavirus in the United States. He wants it to be zero. Now we know it's it's two people. Uh, he wants it to be the lowest number possible. They won't even they won't even accept that. They won't even concede that it is in the president's interest for coronavirus not to spread all across the United States. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And I'd like to just ask and uh, caution that the media, we would respectfully ask the media and politicians and everybody else involved not do anything to incite a panic because there's no reason to panic at all. Uh, This is something that is being handled professionally. 
I will tell you, there's been a lot of irresponsible rhetoric among Democrats and commentators. Who? Who is this? On the left. Name some names, sir. Well, uh, because this is just, uh, it just feels like gaslighting. P- please name some names. I'm, I'm a, we're all big. Well, read, we're all big read, people here. Name some names. There was a column in the New York Times that's, uh, that by a prominent liberal journalist that said uh, we should rename it the Trump virus. Okay, that, that, that is, does that apply, to, does that apply to, to all people? So that the president would be blamed. Chuck, this, this, this virus me? began in China. Why take this? The Here's what I ask. This doesn't help. This This does not help. Decisive action to protect the American people, and uh, and when when you see voices on our side pushing back on outrageous and irresponsible rhetoric on the other side, I think that's important. Do you think this rhetoric from your side helps? I, I never begrudge people responding to unwarranted, unjustified attacks, but I promise you. We're going to continue to focus on the mission the president's given this task force and given this government, and that is we're going to bring the full resources of the federal government to bear. And the American people... Uh, the American people can be confident that we're going to continue to work this issue. We're going to work with leaders in both parties in Congress to make sure that not only our federal agencies have all the resources they need, but our state and local governments, health care providers have the resources and the support to provide the care that every American would want. Remember, Chuck, this is about the lives of the American people. Completely reasonable from the administration on all this stuff. And yet, somehow the administration are the bad guys here. Look, I really think that we're at a point where if we if we were invaded by a foreign country, I mean, there would be Democrats who would blame Trump. And I mean, I mean, actual like divisions. I mean, if we were, you know, if it was like Red Dawn and North Korea started having, you know, paratroopers landing in Montana or whatever, I think there'd be Democrats like, see, look what Trump did to us. Just made those North Koreans invade. There's no reasoning with them. There's no there's no honesty in their analysis. There's no integrity in their assessments. It, it all is just meant for a a purpose here. And the purpose is quite clearly to undermine Donald Trump at every opportunity. Uh, let's just start with I mean, Chuck Todd is like, you know, who, sir? Who? Who's gaslighting? I feel gaslighted here. You know, Chuck Todd, the fact that this guy has one of the more uh desirable purchase in media and for which he's paid you know millions of dollars i mean chuck todd is is a mediocrity at best in every regard i, I don't know what else to say there's nothing about this guy that's impressive he never says anything insightful he, he isn't an honest and fair-minded person he's just another lib hack who happened to be i guess friends with the right members of the corporate media at the right time it makes no sense but uh You know, Chuck Todd is saying here, you know, who? And I say Chuck Schumer has been saying that the administration has no plan, which is another lie. It's like saying that Trump called this a hoax. That's a lie. Of course, the the administration is executing on a plan. And every administration comes into office with the CDC already having things set up. You know, if this happens, then we will do this. If that happens, then we will do that. Every administration. It's not like you show up and Trump has to say, hey, can the CDC like figure out if we're going to have a pandemic response? And then the executive branch executes on that plan from the agency where the institutional knowledge and expertise is centered. That's why it's the executive branch. And this is where we are.
But let's just really dig into for a second what's going on here. Um, and and I, I, will, I will get into my, my, my honest thoughts for you about coronavirus and where this is in, in a moment. But there are Democrats who are, root, who are rooting for Trump administration failure on this issue with American lives at stake. That's just a fact. And they don't like it being said because it's true. But that is a fact. That is where we are as a country. There are Democrats who tell us that Donald Trump is such a, they say things, quotes, clear and present danger to the United States that it would be better for us. You know, a lot of you said to me, why didn't you why didn't you point out to uh, Bill Maher on his show that he's been rooting for a recession? I was trying to point out a lot of things that just had people yap, 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 yapping over me every time I every time I tried to say anything because they're crazy. Uh, But, yeah, he did very openly on his show, said that he hopes we have a recession. So now this would be the only thing. They know that Trump's policies aren't going to deliver a recession. The only thing that could give them the recession that the Democrats think they need to win back the White House would be pandemic disease. And how many of them think that that's just the price we have to pay for a return to normalcy, to have a president who respects our institutions again? All this other these slogans, meaningless, meaningless slogans. And it's very interesting. I've I've been doing a lot of of reading and research on the uh, Russian Revolution, which led to the Soviet Union of 1917. And one thing the Bolsheviks understood and did very well. Remember, the Bolsheviks were just one faction among the various socialists uh, at that period in in Russian history. And there was always this internationalist component of what they were trying to do. I mean, you know, Lenin was in at the time of the abdication of the Russian czar, Nicholas II, Lenin was in exile in Switzerland. You know, Lenin, who was really considered the father of the revolution, and then Stalin took over and led to the Great Terror, and millions and millions of people starved and executed and brutalized and sent to Siberia to freeze to death slowly, uh, that, that when this was all going on, uh, when the initial struggle for power happened after the czar abdicated in large part because of what was going on with the First World War, where you had massive casualties and government ineptitude. There was people don't they didn't, by the way, they didn't they don't teach this history to people at all anymore. You know, they, they, it's just like, yeah, the Soviet Union, it, it just sort of happened. You know, there was this revolution. And then, you know, what, what happened was you had a bunch of hardline thugs who figured out how to seize power. They never they weren't going village to village all across Russia's whatever it is. I think it's eight or 11 time zones, however many time zones Russia has. They weren't running around trying to drum up votes. Seize the power centers. Where are the military garrisons? Where are the telegraph offices? Where are the seats of power? Grab those and then force everybody else to do what you want. But one thing they really understood in that whole process was to co-opt the slogans, the imagery of socialism as it had existed among the various socialist factions for, you know, at that point, about 60 years, right? To, to take the, the phrases and just make it all about how the rich are bad and, and just convince people, convince those who are often illiterate and uneducated, that all they have to do is, is mouth these, these slogans that are platitudes, that don't really mean anything, but that bring out an emotion and then gives a sense of organization with everybody else who is saying the same thing. Whose streets are streets occupy Wall Street, you know? I mean, you think about the way that the left has organized in recent years. It is a lot of, not my president. You know, they have these things, these placards. 
They name movements. They then have people that walk around. Everyone starts repeating these phrases, you know, and and they don't ever think about it. They don't have to think about it. It would be uncomfortable for them to think about it. You know, we, we now have a Democratic Party that on on coronavirus already has decided I mean, we've been talking about this in the context of elections, but there are things that they will just say about this. Doesn't matter what happens. Trump has failed on coronavirus before we know what has even happened with coronavirus in this country. They establish the perception of failure and it doesn't matter what happens after that. And that people don't like to people don't like to feel like they've been wrong or they're dumb. This is very this is very important. So if you get someone to commit early to an idea, they're going to cling to that idea because they don't want to have to reverse what they've believed or what they've thought. This is why I mean, having a conversation with a fundamentalist about anything is a very is very challenging and some would say very futile uh, because they would have to, you know, the repudiation of any part of it feels like a repudiation of all of it to them. They've been so certain and uncertainty is difficult. You know, I, I'm, I'm one of the few hosts who's willing to tell you I, I don't know everything. I know a hell of a lot more than everybody was on that Bill Maher panel and you know, all these crazy libs running around. And quite honestly, almost all of the conservative talk show hosts you will listen to. It's not even close. But I'm also willing to tell you what I don't know and, and where I do have areas of where I'm, I'm still trying to learn. I'm still trying to figure things out. It's so much easier, though. It's such a more effective exercise, especially if you work in the media, to do what the Bolsheviks did. What are the slogans that people like to mouth? What are the things that people like to shout? Get everybody shouting that stuff. Use it for your own purpose. Mobilize them around imagery, phrases. Uh, Gustave Le Bon, a French, uh, French social scientist and theorist, uh, did a whole analysis of this about crowds and how you. And this leads into then mass movements. How do we get to a point of a mass movement? I mean, if you want to read about some of the stuff on your own, Gustave Le Bon is excellent. Uh, you could also read uh, True Believer. Uh, which is a which is a, a book about the mindset of people that that become mobilized behind a cause and why it's so very very difficult to change their mind on anything. I mean, with with Democrats now, there's no room for any kind of of nuance. Um, there's no uh, Eric Hoffer, by the way, is the author of True Believer. If you want to pick that one up, it's 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 a little dense, but it's an interesting read. But we're up against that now. On an issue, it's one thing in politics, and this is why I'm thinking about this. It's one thing where, you know, they want universal health care and we think that that's a bad idea. And so they just want the masses to say, you know, health care should be free. Health care should be free. And we don't get to say, well, but it, it's never free. There's no such thing as free health care. Even the Soviet Union, health care wasn't really free. It's just the state was paying people to administer health care, paying them poorly, and there weren't the micro decisions necessary for a for healthy economic exchange that leads to innovation and efficiency and prosperity, the things that we enjoy in this country that the Soviets didn't. It wasn't an accident that things worked out better here than in the Soviet Union. It wasn't an accident that while you know we were all rolling around in the in the 70s and the 80s, eating delicious Big Macs and French fries and drinking Coke. And like that was, you know, just our standard whenever we felt like it. And they were in bread lines. There are reasons for this. It's not it's not a, a question of luck. But Democrats reject this. And now even 
in a in the context of dealing with disease something that affects every human being you know all of us even those of us who are, think of ourselves as young and healthy we have relatives who are older you know loved ones friends who are older we, we don't want any of them getting sick I, I don't want anybody that that is dear to me getting a coronavirus and and I I don't want any American getting coronavirus and I really mean that and one part of this that's so disheartening is that for a lot of Democrats out there right now, they're so invested in the in the president being awful that when you try to get them to to admit, hey, you guys agree, right, that Trump really doesn't want this to be bad. He does not want you know, he's going to do what he thinks he can do the best job he can do to make sure that there are a, a bare minimum of uh, spread of this disease and casualties from this disease. They don't really they won't they won't co-sign on that. No, I mean, I was in the Bill Marshall that said all Trump cares about is the stock market. This is a moronic thing to say. No, Trump actually does care about whether Americans are dying from a disease, but they won't they won't accept that. They they won't even make the basic premise. I mean, this all it does also remind me of of how when I was when I was in. Uh, political science class at Amherst. I was a political science major, which is funny because I actually ended up using my degree, my undergrad degree, who knew, in, in, the, in, the, in the soft humanities, which usually is not the case. Oh, I know, we're supposed to have a broad-based uh, liberal arts education, yada, yada. But I remember uh, Professor Hadley Arkes, who was my advisor, who was the one conservative in the whole political science department at Amherst, he told this story about how one day he would give this class, and, and a lot, most of the students were liberal, and they never stop to think, like, maybe maybe there's a reason we're liberal and it's not a good thing. Maybe the reason that there's this disparity on campuses is because young people's minds are, are intentionally shaped and polluted by left-wing propaganda more effectively by the media and by Hollywood. And that's why there's disparity, particularly among young people being more liberal. But Arkey's talked about how people would come into his class all the time. And challenge him, and he's you know he was never he, he thought of himself as a great debater. I don't think that's accurate, but you know he, he's he's a very smart guy in his own way. Um, but he would say that one time he had someone who came in, and one of the initial Arkey's premises was that, and he would say, you know, wow, Mr. Saxton, uh, can we agree that the chair you are sitting in is a chair? And of course, I would say, yes, we can agree that chair. Oh, so there is such a thing as truth. There is fact and fiction. There is right and wrong. You know, and this was how he would start the discussion about politics and the pursuit of and the pursuit of what is good and what is virtuous. And he said that he, he had a kid come in once. He was like, nope, I will not concede that that is a chair. And he said, well, you know, I don't I think my work here is done. You know, like what, what is he going to say at that point? That was a bit of my experience in the Bill Maher show. Like a chair is not a chair, so what are we even talking about here? We're not having a we're not having a a discussion among sentient adults. We're having a, a, a temper tantrum, uh, and I think that's where we are with coronavirus right now with Democrats. It doesn't matter what the numbers are. It doesn't matter how they've already decided Trump has mishandled this because he's such a horrible person and because they're so desperate for power, and they won't shift, no matter what happens, and that's troubling because. That same mentality, as you know, is pervasive across the board with all of their major disputes with this administration. Then they never change their mind. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. 
as soon as this virus started cropping up elsewhere in the world, we should have been on top of it. We should have been putting the money into the research. We should be putting money into making sure that we have vaccines available, that we have tests available, and we need a coordinating person in the White House who is a true leader. And let me just say that the Vice President uh, Pence, he is the wrong person to be leading this. He is actually the one guy around who has experience in dealing with a virus that gets out of control, only he's the guy who went in exactly the wrong direction. He paid more attention to politics than he did to science, and that really created a health crisis in his state of Indiana. I cannot think of a worse person to put in charge of dealing with this coronavirus. Elizabeth Warren is just a total fraud. Yeah, just a total fraud, a phony, a fake. Everything about her is is calculated and is for her own benefit. And uh, she stands for a, really Elizabeth Warren and feel-good liberalism with this veneer of intellectualism that's completely false. It was really bought with fraud, racial fraud. She's not a Native American. And guess what? If she wasn't a Native American professor, she wasn't going to get the professorships that she got. Uh, I know, the truth hurts. Uh, but this story you keep hearing, this, this slogan that... Uh, Pence doesn't believe in science. I, this is repeated ad nauseum. Pence doesn't believe in science. This is uh, this is a slight, and it's a slight not just against Mike Pence. This is a continued left wing socialist secular, but you know, so called Catholic liberals, for example, never pick up on this. What they're really saying is that Christians don't believe in science. And I, I, I have a question for the dumb libs about this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Trump doesn't believe in science, they say. Pence doesn't believe in science. It's a, it's a meaningless phrase. I mean, does, does Donald Trump walk around saying, you know, this iPhone runs on magic what does it mean to not believe in science? Because we don't agree that liberals should be able to leverage a a belief that exists from some scientists without an understanding of what the real policy implications would be of implementing something based upon that scientific uh, that scientific assertion or theory. I mean, the climate change is the main area I know they always turn to, but there are many others where they say, oh, the science is on our side. Um, this, first of all, comes from a political party that thinks that men and women aren't biologically meaningfully different. The Democratic Party is no longer in a position, and, and I think we will get to drag queen story hour later, which I, I keep thinking there's no way this exists. And then I see video of it, and it does exist. I keep thinking that they don't actually do this to children, but no, they, they do this to children. Uh but there's this Democrat line that that believing traditional Christians, you know, they, they mock people, for example. I mean, I actually, you know, not I remember not that long ago I was on a I don't know, it was maybe seven or eight months ago now or something. I was on a date, somebody who was a, a scientist. And when I explained to her that there was uh, there was uncertainty about Darwin's some of aspects of Darwin's theory of evolution she looked at me like I was completely, and she was somewhat conservative. She looked at me like I was absolutely insane. Um, meanwhile, I said, well, do you realize that some of the most impressive uh, geneticists, uh, some of the most impressive scientists in the field 
are very uh, there's really almost a scientific consensus on the shortcomings in Darwin's theory of, of evolution based on the fossil record and math and genetics. And there's a book that I've, I've mentioned to you before called Darwin's Doubt by Stephen Meyer that looks specifically at the evidence and makes the case. And by the way, the 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 the, the ultra Darwinists or whatever, the, the Darwin supporters out there, they just say science. They don't have an argument. Because the the when you look at the computations, uh, when you look at the the actual math, I mean, they can run they can run algorithms on this now. They can they can crunch the numbers, so to speak, of the probability of some of the leaps in the fossil record, particularly in what in what they would call the Precambrian to the Cambrian period, the Cambrian explosion of all these different biological realities that had not existed before, going from simple organisms to organisms that have the the complexity, the biological complexity of an eye, and to think that this just happened through trial and error, of, it, it, it's mathematically not possible for it to just happen. So why, you know, there are these, and people that talk about Darwin, like he had all these, he had all these answers. Darwin was coming up with his theories before we even knew what the double helix was. Oh, by the way, it was a believing Christian, if uh, memory serves, who found that one out. Darwin came up with this theory of evolution before we knew anything really about microbiology, about epidemiology, about DNA, about RNA. Didn't know any of that. Nothing. But if you try to look at his theory more critically, because really what his, what his theory is meant to be is that for a lot of people is a very simple, a very simple and straightforward explanation of why there is no God. It's, it's really a, a refuge of atheists. Or people who know nothing and don't read anything, but just want to go, I'm smart. I believe in Darwin's theory of evolution. Okay. Yeah, evolution is real. Animals have evolved from other animals and, and simple, more simple organisms, and that's, that's not actually in doubt. But there are steps along the way that don't make sense. So can we, can we talk about that or no? No, instead they make jokes about how, you know, Mike Pence thinks that, you know, that the, the dinosaurs are fake or something or thinks that, you know, the earth is is 2,000 years old or, you know, whatever, 3,000 years old, whatever it is. These are just smears. These are smears. I mean, the same people that laugh and mock believing Christians for uh, for not, not believing in science. I mean, people in L.A., by the way, they don't read books out there. It's amazing. I mean, I know there are smart people in Los Angeles. Obviously, it's a huge metro city, a huge metro area. Uh, but, you know, the, average, the, the culture in L.A. is one of – uh, from just everyone I talked to, everyone was dealing with out there, you know, they, there's, there's a culture of deep intellectual laziness where everyone just sort of repeats each other and nobody really cares. And and I'm comparing it to New York. So if you're wondering what, I mean, in New York, people are, are even if they're crazy libs maybe, but at least they're a little more, a little more informed. L.A. is is just like this socialist deluded. The weather is so warm, though. That, that is very nice, I will say. And the food doesn't compare to New York. People say that are crazy. Food in New York City is way better than the food in Los Angeles. There's like 10 good restaurants in Los Angeles. Get out of here. But those who say that there's no good, or rather that, that science and Christianity are incompatible, I mean, I just would want to know, um, if you look into some things like, oh, let me think, um, the Big Bang Theory, uh, heliocentrism, uh, if you look into the origins of our understanding of and the biggest developments in genetics, uh, if you look into uh, 
you know, if you were to do a search, for example, of Gregor Mendel, for example, if you were to look at that, you would say, hold on a second. Uh, he was a scientist and he was an Augustinian friar. Wait a second. You mean that some of the some of the greatest minds he's considered the father of genetics. Some of the greatest minds in history when it comes to science were devout Christians. In fact, you probably argue that in the you know post uh, AD is what we are. We're not allowed. To, now it's the common era. No, sorry, it's not the common era. It's in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini. It, no way. I'm, I'm not playing that game. I hate that. Why? Why should we? Why would we change that? There's a reason why we have the calendar we have. Birth of Jesus. So. Ah, my oh my. Um, but this is a this is a story that liberals tell themselves so that they can feel morally superior. This is a story that they tell themselves so that they don't have to actually engage in the facts. And to say that Mike Pence doesn't believe in science to go to the specifics uh, to go to the specifics of of the accusation, it's because there was an outbreak of seventy people with HIV in Indiana. And they were they were drug users. And if you read up on this, you'll find out that there's a there's a very clear risk, a different risk profiles for individuals. Uh, but when it comes to per exposure transmission of HIV and the worst, uh, the, the highest level of transmission is if you got a blood transfusion of somebody HIV, you effectively have the disease. I think it's over, over it's close to 90 percent. Uh, if you get a blood transfusion of somebody who well, there's active HIV, that's the worst. Uh, intravenous drug use is is very high per use, but it's not uh, it's not quite as high as as a blood transfusion. And then it goes down. And then um, same sex uh, male intercourse is considerably higher than heterosexual intercourse. And there's a you know this is all, these are all CDC numbers. This is just all the way that you know the math and the science tells us about this. Um, I think that they. Don't tell people nearly enough about those different risk factors so they can make decisions uh, for themselves about this. Um, but the problem with Mike Pence in this in this case was that he wasn't he didn't want to give people uh, needles because there was a concern that, well, are, are you encouraging illegal drug use among this population? Shouldn't we be getting them treatment or shouldn't we? And then their doctors, you know, some people come along and say, no, 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 you want to give them the clean needles. At least you'll they'll keep doing the drugs, but at least you keep them from getting the HIV. But other people come along and say, well. All right, but if it's this population of people that's at risk, shouldn't we try to just also do something to get them to stop putting themselves at risk for? Because giving them clean needles, okay, they've got clean needles for a while, but intravenous drug use is a very high risk factor for HIV. It's one one of the really it's the it's the most at risk population per incident in this country. So don't we want to get them away from that so they don't get HIV in a year? Anyway, that, but see, there's a there's an adult discussion to be had about that. How do you deal with an outbreak of HIV in, a, in, a, in Indiana with intravenous drug users? What's the best way to approach it? And there are intelligent people on different sides of that that would, no, 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 he doesn't believe in science. That's what they say, doesn't believe in science. It's a more. This is what, but see, this is what I meant about how the socialists will seize phrases and use those phrases to beat down the opposition, to batter down honest discussion, exchange of ideas, and to brainwash people. I mean, this this is what propaganda does. They hear this enough, they think it must be true. Christians don't believe in science. Meanwhile, I could sit here and rattle off just off the top of my head 
many of the greatest scientific discoveries in history are from devout, not just people who are like, I go to church once a, you know, not Christmas and Easter Christians, like devout Christians, friars, monks, priests. They're, they're responsible for some of the biggest scientific breakthroughs and discoveries in the history of the world. But, you know, if, you, if you're a Christian, you don't believe in science. This is, this is what I mean. They don't believe in truth. Oh, they don't believe in facts. They don't believe in reality. Much better to feel a certain way about something than, than have to actually make a case rooted in what is true and what will be true. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're seeing the beginning of community spread, which, as you mentioned, Allison, is really quite concerning because when you have community spread, you don't know the real source, the index case of where it's coming from, which makes the idea and the concept and the implementation of contact tracing much more difficult. So, we, you know, we, unfortunately, this is something that we expected. Whenever you have a respiratory disease that's easily transmissible, you're going to get community spread, and it's going to become difficult to pinpoint the source of each and every infection. And that's exactly what we're seeing in Washington state and now in several other states throughout the country. It's going to make our job much more challenging. Now, I think that there is a lane out there for people who are. I hope I hope there's an option out there for people to take this seriously without panicking about this. I hope that there is the ability. I, I hope that there is the. Well, no, but I know that this is it's all going to turn into a shout fest. It's all going to turn into a shout fest. I mean, how many people, if you were to ask them, who are so concerned with uh, coronavirus spread in the United States right now and think that it's going to be catastrophic for us and that it's you know, and that, of course, it's Trump's fault. This disease came from somebody they, they think eating originally it was bats. And then they said it was a, a pangolin, I think. I mean, how, let's be honest. How many people had to Google what a pangolin is? Uh, I, I feel like I know I'm pretty good in the an, when it comes to the knowing the animal kingdom. And I was like, wait, I think I does it kind of look like a like an aardvark or an armadillo a little bit. Yeah. But somehow that happens in Wuhan province in China or rather Wuhan city in China. And, and it's Trump's fault that, that now we're, we're dealing with this here. Uh, remember, Trump also shut down the flights from China to the United States. The whole point here is to limit the spread because the more people that get it, the more people are at risk of dying from it. This is very straightforward, but limiting your exposure to people coming from the 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 epicenter of the disease, that wasn't an idea that right away everybody was on board for. Trump did it and it was almost certainly the right thing. Um, almost certainly something that we could, you know, yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I feel like, they, well, we know that they won't give Trump credit for anything that he does well. They won't give him credit in general. Um, speaking of which, also, I, I've gotten a little bit of, of heat because on the Bill Maher show on Friday, I said, look, I don't really like. I, see, the thing that's great about that show for me, or I shouldn't say it's great about that show, but at least one thing you guys can all see. I'm the same everywhere. I'm the same on air. I'm the same talking to producer Mark. I mean, what I believe is what I believe all the time. And I, I don't like people going up to somebody and having a friendly conversation and then taping that and then using it to get them fired unless it's, you know, if it's if this is, you know, Planned Parenthood facility and we're discussing the sale of fetal parts. Yes, that that is 
if it's one of how many tens of thousands of lib journals? We all know there are a bunch of lib journals. And some guy off the clock is like, I'm a lib journal. I'm, I'm a socialist. Yeah, of course. They, we, we already know this. They're, they're, they're all libs, guys. We, we know this. But then, I mean, they, you know, to, to expose this and get somebody fired, I mean, I just think that, look, I, I have a different, and so conser- some conservative. That was the only thing that I, but you'll notice, this is what I say on this show. I'm not going to change what I say because I'm on some other forum with a bunch of left-wing lunatics. I don't like that. I wouldn't like it if somebody if somebody from the Huffington Post said to me, "Hey Buck, can we just have like a can we just have like a chat?" And by the way, pretending to just be a, a friend or somebody that wants to hang out with me, and they start asking me questions about politics, and they get me dropping a bunch of f bombs, which I sometimes do in private life, uh, and then all of a sudden they put that tape on the internet. I think that that was gross. If I was talking about overthrowing the government or something, well, yeah, I mean, you know, there there are there are obvious judgment calls to be made here. But if anyway, I, I disagree with so so people can give me much, as much heat on that as they want. But it's important to me that you always know that what I say to you here is what I say out there. Not true of a lot. There are a lot of people. I mean, there are there you know there are some radio hosts that I could think of who are conservative. Who I remember them calling Donald Trump an idiot on their show. An idiot. That was the quote on their show. And now huge Trump defenders. Right. What I say here is what I say out there. What I say to you is what I say in life, and what I say in any form, anytime, anywhere. I think James O'Keefe has done some important and some good work on some things. I think that this video with this guy was meaningless, and I don't like I don't like this tactic against journalists. If you get Jeff Zucker saying I'm a socialist and we're shutting down Trump, yeah, okay. You get some person who's like, uh, uh, I, 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 again, it, people can disagree about this, but I think those who do we re- do we want to live in a place where now conservatives are going to be the targets of this and anything that they say remember this isn't i'm interviewing you this is hey we're having a beer we're hanging out i'm going to surreptitiously tape you talking about politics is that is that the world we- i i don't think that's the world we really want to encourage i mean i know that this is something that can happen in some places it's actually illegal it's not illegal it's not illegal in new york um, but yeah, I, I just I wanted to use this as an opportunity because I'm people are flooding my inbox now with how could you not support James O'Keefe? I've had James on my show. I think James has done important stuff. I don't like this tactic used against journalists to show that they're liberals because we already know they're all liberals. Who cares? I talk about it every day. You know, yes, the journalists think that they're just objective journalists, but they're actually liberal. This is not this is not exposing some important and essential truth. I'm sorry, that's just the reality. But you know. That's why you come here. You come here because I'm keeping it real. Keeping it real, even when I'm getting shattered over and talked over by a bunch of crazy libs. Um, I meant to talk more about, here, just a little bit about where I think this coronavirus thing is going. Um, you know, and I'm, I admit that no one, no one actually knows, but so many people are already positioning themselves as if they know to score the points they can politically and otherwise right now. And it is reckless. It is irresponsible. I wish they would not do it. But that is uh, that is where we are. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The virus is not going to sink the American economy. What is or could sink the American economy is the socialism coming from our friends on the other side of the aisle. That's the biggest fear that I have. No one seems to really want to discuss this right now, but uh, what what role did the rise of Bernie Sanders play? And if we're really going to talk about this in the dropping stock market, does anyone think that Bernie Sanders will be good for investment, good for business, good for entrepreneurship? Of course not. There's no there's no way. 
Um, but then that brings me to uh, where I think the coronavirus situation is going. I, I meant to get to this before, and then I got distracted by, and maybe I'll, I'll reach out. I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting to try to have uh, O'Keefe on. We could talk about what what his parameters are for uh, undercover journalism is now taping people t- complaining about their boss and like saying that the media is liberal. Okay. Uh, I, I'm not saying it's illegal. I'm just saying I don't. I don't really think it's. I don't think that that was particularly helpful, or I don't really care all that much. I mean, it's interesting insofar as yeah, they're a bunch of socialist libs. But anyway, uh, I feel like I feel like everybody should already know that, but maybe people don't know that. Maybe that's what it's really all about. What's happening now with the uh, with the spread of coronavirus? I mean, I would say. Um, very few people recognize that we've already had, I think, almost 6,000 deaths in the U.S. from influenza this season. It's a lot of people. Certainly, I think it's, it's, I think it's over 5,000 so far. And that would, if you were to do a, a run rate of how many people would have to die per day of coronavirus for the next 60 days, I mean, we'd have to see a huge spike in cases and in fatalities. And the overall, the, the, the big part of this that has gotten people so worked up and so concerned is that there are... Uh, there, there's a fatality or mortality rate is what they like to say. Mortality rate, or that's the preferred term. I say fatality. Uh, mortality rate of 2%, which is considerably higher than 0.01%. Um, okay. But that assumes that you know, you know, if you're looking at a fraction, you, you have to know what the denominator is, right? If you're looking at this, trying to establish what the percentage of those who die who get the disease is, I would just say that... Uh, the number of cases is probably, especially in China, is probably much higher than what is reported. And I'm not even saying there's necessarily a government suppression effort at work here, although that's certainly possible. Uh, the number of cases, as I'm, you know, that I'm when I'm talking about this, the number of cases would be um, something that people just don't even necessarily know that they have. That is, a lot of people are asymptomatic. A lot of a lot of individuals have already been reported to have very, very mild symptoms. So, you know, this is such a test, I think, in this country of our ability to put us. And right now we're failing the test as a country, at least. The, I mean, the Democrats are um, because there's been really no good faith. OK, hey, this is a scary moment. Let's let's try to see how this goes. Let's push the president in the right direction, come up with ideas and we can do the we can do the pointing fingers once we know what we're dealing with. But that's they they've gone in a totally opposite direction. Score points right away. Got to score those points right away against the president. And just and and drive down. The, you know they they create this fear, or rather I should I shouldn't say they create the fear. Let me let me edit that. They greatly magnify. I would say recklessly magnify the fears over what this is going to do to the country. And then they point to the stock market and say, see the stock market's dropping. So Trump isn't really that great. Okay, well, fine. Um, the stock market, we were told when Trump was doing really well with it, was the Obama stock market, right? So this is what I mean when I tell you that there are no principles that they will adhere to. There is no truth that is constant with them. Everything shifts depending on the political needs of the left at any point in time. And yeah, I mean, here, here we go. Uh, when we look at this, we find ourselves in a situation that we can't trust a lot of the people that are bringing us information on it because they come with uh, they come with an agenda. Um, I think it is a fair statement, although Democrats would completely lose their minds right now, to say that socialism is a bigger threat to the American economy than coronavirus is. I think that's true. 
right now that might feel like a bit of an extreme statement, but I think that it is it is accurate. Um, oh, do, I don't think we've even played it. This is the do we uh, producer Mark? Can we play the soundbite of Trump actually saying that it's what he said about hoax? And keep in mind, this was the first thing I'm asked about on the Bill Maher show Friday. Is Trump called this a hoax? I'm like, he didn't call it a hoax. Play it. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. They are politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs, you say, House President Trump doing. They go, oh, not good, not good. They have no clue. They don't have any clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. They can't even count. They can't count their votes. One of my people came up to me and said, Mr. President, they tried to beat you on Russia, Russia, Russia. That didn't work out too well. They couldn't do it. They tried the impeachment hoax. That was on a perfect conversation. They tried anything. They tried it over and over. They've been doing it since you got in. It's all turning. They lost. It's all turning. Think of it. Think of it. And this is their new hoax. Is he saying there's no coronavirus? Or is he saying that their new hoax is pretending that Trump is failing to deal with this and that this is a disaster because of Trump? Come on. Oh, he said he said coronavirus is a hoax. This is when this is the 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 lib hyper literalism routine. This is what they do. They they all of a sudden lose the ability to gauge the English language and 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 to understand what words actually mean, and they replace it with, um, they replace it with this, you know. They replace it with telling us that what all of us can understand was being said by the president is not what he said. Coronavirus is a whole yeah because because coronavirus doesn't exist is what he's saying. I mean this is this is idiocy. I did want to just take a moment because there was this uh, news story of the week and didn't get a lot of attention. I think it should get a lot more attention than it does, and it has to do with uh, Afghanistan. Um, the president is very clear on one principle here about about our role in national security and around the world. Mark, play clip eight, please. But American forces cannot be the policemen for the entire world. We're all over the world. And a lot of times we're not even appreciated. It's taken for granted. We can't be the policemen for the world. And the democracy builders, we just can't do that for every nation that seems to have difficulty, especially for those nations that don't appreciate what we do. And there are many of them, many of them. And that goes with trade also. We've changed the whole thing around. Their job is to be secure, and my job is to make sure that we're secure and to defend our country first, our country. So Afghanistan right now is in a, is in a very important moment. The president has, and I, I play that for you just because this is the way he's trying to approach foreign policy, and I think it's the right way. And I, I especially like his point about how you know, countries don't even really appreciate it. I mean, there's a lot of Remember, America, the way you and I see America is very different than it's seen in, in other parts of the world, especially poorer, more violent, um, you know, poor, more violent places that don't have as much to celebrate as nation states as we do. Just aren't as successful as countries as America is. That's that's the, the truth of what's going on. They don't necessarily say, oh, great, America's trying to help us advance, produce more, be safer have you know representative government have rule of law 
a lot of a lot of the time there's at least some loud and sometimes very violent minority within these countries that uh, say that what we're doing is imperialist and we shouldn't be there. And, you know, there's not enough support from the people to drown out those voices. So why are we it's, it's really a thankless job trying to help these countries be better than they are we're talking about Iraq, Afghanistan. So we shouldn't do this job anymore. And also it's thankless. And it's I think eventually we'll recognize that it's does not have the outcomes that we want either. So that's what I would say. I would just point out that there's not really a, um, you know, there, there's not an end state here that anybody's going to be able to celebrate. So we have a, a deal with the Taliban that was uh, that was shown. They've released the, this, the text of it, I think, uh, on Friday. And it has these confidence-building measures, a secession of violence, and then there are these different steps. And if we hit all those different steps, the U.S. is going to withdraw all troops. I think within an 18-month period is what it said. And everyone's claiming, you know, it's a bad deal. It's a bad deal. There's not going to be a good deal. Does everyone, ever, everyone needs, I'm, I'm just here to just tell it like it is. There's not going to be a good deal. We have no, there is no plan. There's no future. There's no reality in which we are eradicating the Taliban. The Taliban are ascendant in Afghanistan. They have been for years now. And they're not going anywhere. And we're tired of this. So even if this is a a withdrawal plan that, you know, look, the the, the problem with the there are a lot of reasons why the Obama, because I know this is what's going to happen. It immediately turns into a what about Obama in Iraq? Uh, the Obama administration pulled out of a country that had a developed enough national infrastructure, military and security apparatus that there was a realistic chance of Iraq not having what happened happened, which is, you know, ISIS flooding in, taking Mosul, almost making it to the outskirts of Baghdad, threatening the Kurdish areas, this huge terrorist army coming in and doing all that. Uh, that didn't that didn't that wasn't inevitable. The Taliban being in charge of or at least a, a powerful voice in Afghan politics, if not, in fact, the ruling party of that country, um, the Taliban is going to be a powerful force politically, militarily, and perhaps will become, once again, the, the primary force uh, in Afghanistan. That's There's no—the only way around that is to, is to stay there and be there for the next 50 years. And who knows what 50 years will bring? Do we really want to do that? As long as the Taliban is not a safe haven for terrorists, how much is it really supposed to matter? I know this starts to be, oh, are we allowed—how much is it really sp- supposed to matter to us who is in charge there? It's a real question. People don't like to ask that question. Why are we supposed to care so much who is in charge in this country that is very far away in which our real interest is just don't become a training ground and funding source for people that want to fly planes into our buildings? That's why we were there. We were not there because there was this uh, desire to make Afghanistan a Jeffersonian democracy in Southwest Asia. And that's what it became. So if we fulfill that initial objective, and also, I mean, I would assume, I mean, I'm not sure what the Trump team is telling them, but it's pretty clear to anybody paying attention that if the if Afghanistan was, in fact, used again as a platform for jihad in this way, um, then we would go back and the response would be severe. Uh, it would be severe. I, I think the United States would would find itself in a position where we don't really care all that much about what is destroyed and, and what the cost is. I mean, I'm just saying, if we got hit again like we did on 9-11, I think we'd go back and say, all right, you know, anybody who's not on our team, we're just going to wipe them all out. 
Taliban. You know, it's just I'm hoping we never reach that that phase. Um, But I think that the administration is right to just try to get the U.S. military out of there. It's not it's just not at some point. It's just not our fight anymore. We've we've stood up and Af- there is an Afghan National Army. There's an Afghan National Police. There's you know, they've had elections. We, we've we've gone through all this. What are we really supposed to do? Just keep propping this country up as long as we possibly can. Uh, I think the Trump now there's already been a, a break in the uh, the Taliban has already broken this the ceasefire. There's been violence. So who knows if this agreement will even last in any meaningful way. But I, I agree with Trump that overall this is this is the correct approach and we should leave Afghanistan and kind of come what may there and just let them know that, look, we've got a lot of ways to do a lot of things there without having eight or 9,000 U.S. troops that are holding this country together. Think about that. Why, why are eight or 9,000 U.S. troops able to hold this whole place together? And if we go, the whole thing collapses. What does that say about the state of the Afghan military, the Afghan government? It's pretty astonishing. So we shall continue to follow this. And maybe tomorrow I'll talk to you about what's going on between the Turks and the Syrians in northern Syria, which is also completely overshadowed right now by the coronavirus situation. But very interesting, uh, troubling stuff going on in Syria, too. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, so drag queen story hour is something that conservatives talk about. And there's a lot of video going around social media right now of that. So drag queen story hour is, and I need to dig more into how this even became a recurring uh, a, a, a thing that just keeps happening. There are clearly people that think that this is a good idea. It's men who are dressed as women. That is what a drag queen is, right? Men who are dressed as women who are going and doing storybook reads to rooms full of very small children, like five, six, seven-year-olds, and saying things to them. I mean, this was a video. I, I almost, I keep thinking, is this a deep fake or are these, is this real? Am I going to find out that this wasn't what I thought it was? But he, here's just some of the audio, and you can imagine what the video is like. The video is circulating around the internet, too. Play it, uh, Mark. There's funny little dances from Fortnite. Does anybody know any of the dances from Fortnite? Oh, then you are a credit to your community. <laughs> but most of all, Michael likes to twerk. Now, does anybody in this room know how to twerk? Okay, but it's quite important to the story, so I will just give you a very quick demonstration. <laughs> all you need to do is you just stand with your feet sort of shoulder width apart, like so. Okay, and I'll, sh- I'll show you at the side so you can get better view. There we go. And you, you crouch down into this sort of position here, so your thumb's sticking out. Don't be taking this all in. <laughs> and then you just move your thumb up and down like that, and that's twerking. <laughs> Why is it a... Pr- I mean, twerking is a pretty... Uh, you know, pretty sexualized dance movement. I, mean, I know I sound like maybe somebody from the movie Footloose or something here, but, you know, twerking is a particularly, for, for little kids, for an adult male dresses a woman to be showing a room full of small kids how to twerk. I looked this up, by the way. Uh, dragqueenstoryhour.org says, it's drag queens reading stories to children in libraries, schools, and bookstores. In spaces like this, kids are able to see people who defy rigid gender restrictions and imagine a world where people can present as they wish, where dress up is, is real. 
Uh, this started in 2015 by actor and activist, uh, I'm sorry, author and activist Michelle T. Um, this is so this is a real this is a movement now. Uh, you know, I, I just do, do we no longer so it no longer applies like I mean, these are really small children who are being told about twerking. If if I. Let's just let's just make this very clear. If I, as an adult male, dressed as a male, presenting as a male, went into a room full of four-year-old boys and girls and started saying, hey, like, this is how you twerk and gyrating my butt up and down during, during like, story time, people would think that was weird. Rightfully so. People would say, well, is that, that's a little sexualized, isn't it, for, the, for this audience, for these kids? Why do we have to accept that there are different standards for adults when they're presenting some form of the left wing, you know, trans or or gender gender fluid uh, agenda? Why do the rules change? I, by the way, I don't people can dress however they want. They can present however they want. I don't care. But I just want to know why are the rules when it comes to what's appropriate for adults to do in front of children all of a sudden markedly different? Do I do I can I ever get an explanation of that? Does anyone ever have to address that issue? I mean, I think we know the answer is no. Of course not. Whatever they want to do is is uh, is fine. But we'll see. Um, we'll see what ends up happening with this if it if it continues on. It's hard to believe, especially you have to see the visual. I know I'm telling you this on on radio or podcast, unless you're watching on Pluto TV. But if you see the vid- the video, you say. Um, I don't think this is appropriate for my kids or any kids. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Let's get to it. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Uh, team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to send emails. Good to hear from you, team, because after doing Bill Maher's show on Friday, uh, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of like super nasty stuff coming my way. I mean, you know, you, you know, everyone will tell you they get used to it. You never really get used to it. It's not, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, I especially love it, too, when all the people, all they want to do is tell me, uh, on you know a lot of these libs, the first thing they always want to tell me how ugly I am, which I think is interesting because, okay, I'm, I'm just there to have a political conversation. I'm, I'm trying to like present as a professional. I mean, I'm not I'm not showing up trying to be a, an Armani underwear model. Um, but would they do they say that to like? I mean, is, I mean, I'm just wondering like is is like Nicholas Kristoff super handsome? I mean, like like what what only if you disagree with someone then them being ugly is all. I mean, is, is Bill Maher super handsome? Like, I, I just want to know where we draw the lines here about that. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of the the, the primary response to me going on Bill Maher is um, is I should be embarrassed at how ugly I am, which I think is an interesting. Oh, and the stuff about your name is hilarious too. Well, no, but that that's like that's always fun because this is a, the mark of somebody who's really dumb. Like they think they're the first person that's made the it's it sounds like a porn star name joke. No, like why made a million times. No, but then, yeah. but like so why even why even make that sure. particular joke when like it's so you know there is such a thing as like the joke that you don't make because everyone's gonna it's like ah like it's so dumb but no these people so it's a fun it's a fun intelligence test that libs fail all the time. Like, I will I, say though. By the way, you know who made fun of my name 
the first time I ever did his show and laughed at his own joke was Don Lemon because he's a moron. He's actually stupid. So, yeah. What were you going to say? I was going to say it brightened my Friday night. It made my train ride go very quickly. Producer Mark enjoyed Just... me getting uh, me getting trashed uh, by everybody, apparently. I mean, so that's... you have to laugh at it. If you I don't guess. laugh, you're going to, what are you going to cry? These people I mean... are total, nah, of course. These people exactly. are total, total psychos, but man. And now I'm getting now I'm getting a pile I'm getting piled on too because I said that I don't like James O'Keefe typing I mean taping journalists who are off the clock giving their thoughts about you know politics. I mean, some I'm, of the people he's taped are like the equivalent of me. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. They're wrong. These people are not very smart. Taping somebody who's like a low-level employee, not that you're a low-level producer, Mark. Wow. We love you. Wow. But I'm saying taping somebody as he has, like, he's taped, like, associate producers at CNN. And like, yeah, like, we don't do a good job, you know, getting... And then they get fired. I mean, we're, we're supposed to, like, that's so cool? That's so brave? No. Get into Jeff Zucker's office or somebody... I know the top executive at CNN. I used to know who all of them were. Get in one of their offices and maybe get them saying that they're unfair to Trump. That's meaningful. Getting some, like, uh, person that's just trying to, you know, keep a job for, for as long as they... I mean, it's... Anyway. There was, oh, you're being a sellout. No, I'm just not a... I'm just not a punk. I don't go on TV and say different things to different audiences because I... Anyway, you guys all know. Oi, speaking truth, man. People say they want the truth, but a lot of people don't. Matthew. Hey, Buck, on the subject of plastic bags, I grew up during the 80s and 90s and could have swore I remembered a movement promoting plastic bags because environmentalists were crying about the use of paper bags contributing to the clear-cutting of the rainforest or something like that. No one ever brings this up, but I could have sworn this was a thing whenever I was growing up. Of course... It's all bull crap, but still, it's like no matter what we can do, we can't ever make the, these wackos happy. Anyway, love the show. Bruce and Mark is awesome. Shields high. Uh, yeah, Matthew, you're never going to make these um, these people happy. And uh, the environmentalists, like it's a religion. I mean, this is all about how people feel. It really has nothing to do how how saying and taking these positions, um, how it makes individuals feel. And that's kind of it. So, yeah. Sarah. Buck, when the coronavirus first started hitting the news cycle, some doctor came out and said it was a completely manageable virus. He claimed that massive doses of vitamin C were all that was necessary to fight it off and no one should die from contracting the disease. I know there is a lot of fake news out there. Could it be so simple? There is a sense that a crisis is a viable tool in the hands of the unscrupulous government. Um, Sarah, I mean, I would never... I'm not a doctor. I would never give that kind of advice. I, I wouldn't give medical advice of any kind on this show, um, and I do not find that to be credible um you know people have all these oh yeah this will like make you not get this will treat your cold faster and i've tried all these different things if there were an answer we would know what the answer is that's usually the case especially with something that's as common as as, as the common cold that's why they call it the common cold good job buck uh but yeah this is um this is i, I think uh, a time when you have to be very careful where you're getting your information you know who you're getting your information from i think that really matters um Tommy, the last time I was asked in a job interview, what's your biggest weakness? I answered, my biggest weakness is the lie I am about to tell you. Tommy, I think that's a totally respectful way to answer that very dumb question. And it always says more to me about the interviewer, anyone who asks that in an interview and their judgment than it does. However, the person answers that, I think, should kind of get wiped away because the person asking the question hasn't figured out that's a really stupid question that somehow people just can't. 
Uh, we, we can't get past this. In the HR world, you know, you can't get past it. Oh, what would you say your biggest weakness is? John writes, Buck, coming at you from the great liberal stronghold of Central Coast California. Your show is the best. It's very educational. However, I need to push back on the plastic bag ban. Putting everything to the side, it's nice not to not see those things floating around in the air and sticking to the trees and bushes, and I've gotten used to carrying the reusables around. The plastic straw and single-use container bans are stupid. Also, global warming is a hoax. Our records only go back a short period of time. It's like judging your, your whole day off of one second. Um, yes, John, that's true. It's ridiculous. Uh, global warming is not what people say it is. But I got to push back on you on the plastic bag ban because what you are talking about is littering. And if you want to get rid of littering, that's a separate thing than to ban something for environmental reasons. I think that littering uh, should be, you know, people should be fined for this. I think that the police, the same way that, you know, if you drive 130 miles an hour on the highway and you go past a cop, the cop's like, I don't care you haven't, you know, run into anybody yet or caused an accident. I'm going to give you a ticket. I think that littering should be something that we punish. Uh, I think that you should get fined for it. It's really bad. Culturally, by the way, America is quite good about not being a country where there's a lot of littering. Other countries are terrible when it comes to littering and how they handle their trash. Uh, so that's a different issue than what's pushing this right now. And uh, also, you should remember that there are going to be there are a lot of loopholes in this and people are going to try to find other you know, other ways they start using like uh, garbage bags, which are much thicker than the plastic bags you usually get at a grocery store. They're going to use other things instead of, and sometimes those are even worse for the environment. So, but yeah, no, I I, I hate littering. Um, I, I think that that's something that we should all be. You know, I hate littering. I also hate people that think it's okay to leave a little ding noise on their phones. I, I'm I've come across an epidemic of people that also think that they can do. I was, I was, you know, I stayed at a hotel in LA and they had a little pool on the roof. And there's some guy who was obviously from like the UK and he sit there and he put, he was on FaceTime and he put it on speaker. So he's like, oh, he's like, I really like Los Angeles. He's having a great time here by the pool. I'm loving every second of it. I'm going to keep yelling on my phone. And I'm sitting here, I'm like, dude, you know, there's other people at the pool. Why, why do Producer Mark, I think you would even have to agree, or oh, I'm going to ask course. you to agree, that if you're in a public place, you don't get to be on speakerphone. People do it all the time. On all the, the train. Time. On the train. Uh, on the street. On the I train, mean, they do this. The People bad, also but... think they can like watch their video clips or whatever with the volume blasting Without on headphones. Without headphones. What, what, what has but, to happen here, people? This is civilization is in the balance. I have something worse. What's that? This morning, I'm on the train on my way to the Freedom Hut. Yeah. And this guy, not only was he on the phone talking loudly, he started clipping his fingernails. That's disgusting. I looked That's at him disgusting. horrified. <laughs> like, I didn't disgusting. say anything because I didn't feel oh like getting into a fight. Gosh. But uh, I don't know what I would do. That's so gross. It's not the first time I've seen it either. Like, yeah. people are disgusting. Yeah, I know. Whew. Like, how do you, th who thinks that's acceptable? Uh, I, there are people out there these days, man. I, I gotta tell you, it's uh, there's really. I really think that manners are in decline. I think that people just don't care about anybody around yes. them anymore, and we all have these devices that connect us to the people we do care about. And so the actual human beings in our vicinity get completely forgotten in favor of our connection to our our digital world. 
And I mean, people that are that think that they're in speaker. I sat down to have breakfast at a hotel with, you know, my brothers, by the way, both my brothers came out to uh, see the Bill Marshall with me. Thank God. I had a little bit of backup. I had, I had the cavalry with me and, you know, we had fun. I mean, I think they were a little frustrated that I was uh, in a situation where I was just being cut off so much and not allowed to talk, which at some point, if you're just not being allowed to talk, there's only so much you'll be able to do. And uh, one funny story that I had for you is that my brother, uh, my brother, when my older brother, when we were uh, backstage after the show, there's a little green room party for people that are on the Bill Maher show. He said, uh, you know, he said, hey, he's like, you know, isn't isn't, uh, you know, James Woods is great on Twitter. He's like, you know, he'd be great on this show. Or he's like, you should have him on your show. Or, you know, we should hang out with him sometime. He, he brought up he brought up, you know, James Woods, who is great on Twitter and just out of nowhere, my brother. And I was like, yeah, yeah, James Woods, you know, he'd be cool. And, you know, I'll send him a DM and I'll tell him he should do my show on, on I'll send him a DM on Twitter. And this is I didn't I didn't even get a chance to tell producer Mark this. I'm in my hotel the next day. And I step into the hotel uh, elevator. James Woods is in the elevator. I'm I wow. I and ended up he sent me a DM. I mean, I have the DM being like, "Great to meet you," whatever. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was. I mean, we now joke. My older brother has some magic power, like he like manifest human beings. But he was just like, you know, it'd be cool. James Woods, either on this show or your show. I'm like, yeah, James Woods. He's like, yeah, you should like reach out. You should reach out to him. And I was like, yeah, sure. Did he like had seen him in the hotel maybe earlier that nope, day? No, wasn't really? staying in my hotel. Huh. Different hotel. Okay. No way. And James Woods lives in L.A. So I asked him, like, what are you doing in a hotel? He's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm going to an event. You know, I'm, I'm just – I wanted to be closer by so I don't have to worry about getting home. So, yeah. So he was staying in my hotel, and my brother brought him up, and my brother wasn't in that hotel, and he obviously – you know, it was just crazy. Well, Buck, did you book him for the show? That's a good point. I should do that. Right. I, I thought about yeah, it. I, I, was like, I was like, we should all go out drinking. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I got some – cool James Woods. It's cool Hollywood party to go to. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All righty. Stoney, keep on holding these moron left, uh, left chicken wings to the fire. You're a powerhouse. I'm concerned about China and the coronavirus being purposely used to affect our mission to get Trump reelected. Trump is hard on China and they can't take it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely what they're doing. I mean, they're trying to use coronavirus as a political weapon against Trump. And they won't put aside that, you know, they won't put aside what's best for the country, even for a moment here. They just whatever's bad for Trump is what they're most concerned with. So that's troubling. And uh, we'll have to see. I don't know. I don't know if this is look, I don't know if this is going to be a, a thing that we have to really worry about in the country for Going forward, it could be a seasonal thing, or I don't know if this will kind of fade. I remember when I was in the Caribbean in the in Puerto Rico three, four years ago, and uh, people were, were panicked about Zika, and Zika ended up. Remember that, and everyone's all everyone's completely freaked out about microcephaly having a small head. It's a genetic, uh, it's a it's a genetic um, problem that happens if you can get Zika when you're uh, when you're pregnant. So, you know, and, that, and now no one talks about Zika anymore. It just kind of went away. I don't even SARS, MERS. There have been these other corona. Those are coronaviruses. Um, I think they should have come up with a better name. By the way, you know, why not just call it a crown virus? You know, the Corona Beer Company probably agrees with you. Yeah, you see that report over the weekend. Yeah, like yeah. thirty or forty percent of people won't buy. I don't believe. I think people are just like intentionally being stupid because yeah. they know it's a ridiculous poll. I don't think anyone's really that dumb. I think Corona's terrible beer either way. <laughs> 
you know, I haven't had beer in so long that I can't even weigh in on this it, anymore. I don't even well, know. I'll have it. But, what's the go to? What, what's the go to beer? Usually something like a Blue Moon. Blue Moon. It's yeah. kind, kind of bougie. How's that? You kind of a you kind of a bougie beer drinker. Belgian beer with a slice of orange in it. Yeah, I do like the orange. Do you do you uh, do you eat your finger sandwiches and and wear a top yeah. hat and a monocle well, while you drink your I'm Blue Moon beer? Yeah, this is your fancy beer. I thought you were gonna say Bud Light like I an mean, American. Drink, if I'm drinking to you know. You know, having a party, I'll drink a Bud Light. But if I'm like enjoying a beer, I want a good one. I'm gonna tell you the truth. I've I don't think I ever reached the point where I even really could tell all that much difference between beer. I was never yeah. much of a beer drinker well, before mean, this. Now I can't anymore. Yeah. What I do like is cider, but cider is like you might as well just inject sugar directly into your veins. I yes. mean, a big like a a pint glass of cider is like 140 grams of sugar. It's horrible. And for you. if you drink too many, as well as you could hold any other alcohol, you can't hold your cider because of the sugar. Yeah, you get. Totally, totally slammed. Mm. Uh, Jeremy writes, Buck, Disney has gone down in quality. It seems like hiring good writers is no longer important to making movies. Frozen is my daughter's favorite movie currently, so I've seen it many times. I will tell you that while Frozen has a weak plot, it is Citizen uh, Citizen Kane compared to the train wreck that is Frozen 2. Dude, I believe you. Frozen is just not a good story. It's just not. People get mad at me for saying this. This is not a good story. Beauty and the Beast is like for, you know, mostly I think it's a movie for like little girls and like it's a good story and it's well executed. The the old Beauty and the Beast from the 90s, the Disney movie was very well done. The music is good. Uh what's it um I was trying to think of uh Gaston the Gaston song. I can't remember that. I, I wanted to start going les poissons, les poissons, but that's not Gaston, that's poisson. You can't confuse Gaston and poisson. It's kind not, of impossible to do. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm oh no one hits like yeah. there we go I, I had to think of it. it took me a second in a spitting match nobody spits like a, you know mm-hmm. I feel like I can do you a, look a little bit like Gaston <laughs> uh, I'll take it I'll he take has it. more muscles but, yeah. yeah I mean well you know he's roughly the size of a barge and sure. he does the you know that's what he says so. I mean like the swoop and everything yeah no he's mm-hmm. got some swoop yeah I mean he just you know the problem is he just needed somebody to make him a good God-fearing conservative, he would have been all right. Instead, he was clearly a, clearly a lib, although he was about the. He did like the Second Amendment, but are you doing that thing where you put politics and cartoons again? Yeah, I mean it's all this. You know, this is what everybody does. Huh. Um, Jim writes, "I love your show uh, because you take the time to research facts." Uh, regarding faith, face masks, you need to do a little more homework. Face masks masks don't work if you have facial hair. No, no, Jim, I know that, but people don't don't. We're not at the point where we have to wear face masks. Um, that's the whole point. I'm not saying that it's not true that it's bad for it, but keep up the excellent work. Thank you, Jim. Brandon writes, Buck, thank you for holding your ground on Real Time with Bill Maher. I watched it to support you, hopefully see some interesting discussion. They try to talk over you, and Bill Maher tried to shut you down, too. The hypocrisy of Maher talking about somebody who vilify, who disagrees with you and vilifying them is uh, it happened right on the show. It was hard to stomach. Yeah, man, I know. Next time, next time I'll probably just go uh, hard in the paint. And that'll be interesting. If they ever have me back, I think I think I just go uh, all in, all out, pull no punches. Shield's high, everybody.